Welcome to episode 91 of Stageworthy. I am your host, Phil Rickaby. As always, Stageworthy features conversations with Canadian theatre makers, from actor to director to playwright and more. My guest this week is performer-creator Tamlin Bryson. Last summer, I had the pleasure of seeing her show Indecision at the Hamilton Fringe Festival, and this year, her new show Bedwetter has played at the London and Windsor Fringe Festivals, and I'm sure you'll be seeing that next year as well. If you like what you hear, I hope that you'll consider going to your favorite podcast app and leaving a comment or rating. Those things really help people find the show. And if you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And here's my conversation with Tamlin Bryson. Your last show, Indecision, the last show that I saw, there was Indecision. Yes. I mean, I loved the premise of it. Thank you. As far as, as far, like, that that idea that it's like this moment in time that takes place really over like three to five seconds, but we're, mm-hmm. we're well, why don't you describe what, what Indecision is? Yeah, sure. Uh, my, my flyering pitch at Fringe Festivals is um, it's... It takes place inside of a woman's brain right after she's been proposed to, and it's the 10 seconds when she decides if she's going to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the it's an interactive show where I talk to the audience. The audience kind of plays the different parts of my brain, and I ask their advice, which is always a risky thing when promoting it, because some people really hate audience interaction, mm-hmm. which is totally fair. Um but then some people, when you're flying around me, they're like, you should say no. You should say no to marriage. <laughs> I'm like, oh, then you should come see the show and uh, you should tell her that. She might listen to you. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was Indecision. So that was a fictional show that my creative partner, Kyle Kimberly, and I wrote. But like kind of loose elements of the character, mm. I'd, I would say, were loosely based on okay. me. Um, whereas in Bedwetter, I'm just me. Okay, well, let's let's talk about Bedwetter. Wait, yeah. So after Indecision, which is a yeah. fictional moment, which yeah. is loosely based on you, yeah. uh, what brought you to Bedwetter? Um, it was actually when I was uh, touring uh, last year during the Fringe Festivals, and I was seeing all these really amazing storytelling shows, and uh, I left this one, and I thought, like, man, that's so cool. I really wish I could do something like that, but I don't have any interesting stories to tell nothing that cool has really happened to me mm-hmm. or nothing that like hard or whatever because um, there are people doing these really brave shows about yeah. like their struggles with cancer or you know like really like hard family mm-hmm. relationships I was like I guess there was that thing where I went to bed until I was 14 but like who cares <laughs> um, but then I was like oh that might be cool and then I got a fringe slot uh, I got into the London Fringe before I knew which show I, I was going to do. I, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to take a little break from Indecision uh, just to create something new. And uh, I went to Kyle, my partner, with like a few ideas. And I don't actually remember this, but the way he tells the story is that I said these four ideas I was excited about and then said, oh yeah, and then there's also this idea I could talk about 
how I went to bed until I was 14. <laughs> um, and he thought that was the most interesting one. And Okay. Yeah. How, how do you go about writing that show? Uh, it started with a lot of just telling the stories to Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this was stuff that I hadn't thought about in years. Um, and yeah, it was my first storytelling show, my first thing based on my life. So there's a lot of like trying to navigate mm-hmm. one, what's the style of storytelling we're telling and trying to figure yeah. out like what's an, maybe this is interesting to me, but no one really cares. Or maybe this part I don't think is interesting. is actually really interesting. Yeah. So a lot of it just started with me talking to Kyle about it. Mm. Um, Kyle and I really like to devise on our feet. Yeah. Um, like, a lot of our work is we'll kind of improvise something and then come back and talk about it mm-hmm. and then improvise again and through that create a script. Okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of just a lot of it came out of just storytelling, and then we also like to think, like, okay, well, how can we, like, fuck with this moment? <laughs> like, we like changing up our styles, kind of similarly to Indecision, how there yeah. were kind of kind of cutaways, kind of vignettes yeah. of, like, now we're in an 80s sitcom yes, or whatever. Yeah. Um, that kind of, like, okay, well, can this moment be... Like, the show starts with a Law & Order-style segment of me interrogating my bladder, asking why I've done this <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, so it kind of goes... It, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I was worried it would be too similar to Indecision, um, but a lot of the feedback was... You can tell it's the same creative team, mm-hmm. but it's not the same show, which is cool. Would you, did that feedback come from like workshops, or was that like just like you went in and you performed it, and that's the feedback you got? Pre- pretty much the second one. Uh, <laughs> we had a mini. Uh, so we we did two fringe festivals. We mm-hmm. did the London Fringe, and then about a month later, did the Windsor Walkerville Fringe Festival. Uh, so we had a one night preview in Toronto. Uh, at the social capital right before we went to London and then a few weeks before that we had kind of a living room open dress rehearsal where we opened it up to feedback and so that was kind of our little workshop Um, and that actually was the first time someone was like don't worry it's not the same show as the that's kind of the feedback that you want with the second show yeah like I mean because it's the same team there are certain similarities that are going to come in um, so you really want, even if it's just like that, that one voice to say, don't worry, it's not. It's not exactly it's not the, same. the same. Yeah. But I do like that people could see a similar style because that's also kind of a cool, like, oh, we're kind of creating a brand. Yeah. Like I've seen, I really uh, respect Sex T-Rex's work. Yeah. And uh, I've only seen a couple of their shows and they've been very different shows, but you can see a similar style. And so I know... Oh, I want to go see a Sex T-Rex show because I like what they've done, but I want to see what they're going to do next. Yeah. I mean, you well. always know with a Sex T-Rex show, there's going to be something, there's going to be an action sequence. There's going to be something yes. in it. And and it's going to be some kind of genre that you, you're going to take the genre and they're going to turn it on its head. It's always yeah. going to be You know, it's going to be dynamic. funny. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So how did, how were those two fringes for you? Uh, they went really well. Um, yeah, it was very, it's kind of scary. Um, definitely when we began writing the show, it was super scary because this was kind of personal stuff that I mm-hmm. hadn't talked about in years. And then there's also worries of like, 
um, is this just therapy on stage, oh, you know, yeah, and does yeah, anyone yeah. care? Like, is this, is this a worthwhile play and story or is this just Tamla wants to talk? Right. Um, but then going through like a, almost a year or whatever it was, eight months of a rehearsal process, I got less scared of telling people that I used to wet the bed. Mm. Um, so I wasn't nervous in that respect, premiering it at London. Um, London was a new festival for us. Have you never done uh, the London Festival? I've never before? done London. Before, I've never no. done London either, so I don't. I don't know much about how it is as a festival. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a kind of a similar feel to Hamilton. Okay. A, I would say maybe a little bigger, uh, a okay. little bit more of a beer tent nightlife. Mm. Um, yeah. But kind of a similar size, okay. and I, I just said it was bigger, and it's a similar size. But that's kind of that kind of feel where you you'll pretty much meet everyone right as yeah, long yeah, as people yeah, yeah. are out and about yeah which is a really nice feel Did people go out because yeah people, for the hamilton fringe i kind of felt like for the most part most people didn't go out that's how i felt as well uh, or i would go out every night and then be like there's two people here yeah, I, I got that a lot like i'd be like okay so i'm gonna go i've done my show let's go hang out and then i'd be like oh there's you and there's okay all right, I guess we're yeah. going home. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yo, London was, uh, there were definitely some nights that were bigger than others, but I think Kyle and I went to their, like, designated bar pretty much every night, and there were always some people there. Did, so they have, a, like, a designated bar as well, like, yeah. uh, like Hamilton did? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, similar to that. Um, it's hard to do a tent thing. I mean, everybody yeah. does, every fringe does its own thing, but it's hard to have, like, an area that's yours. Not everybody yeah. can do that. Yeah, it's definitely tricky, and it was something... I think this they were doing it at a bar that they hadn't done that before, so, like, I felt the servers were working so hard. I felt so... I was like, I'm so sorry that we're all here. Um, I'm sure they weren't, because they, you know, but, they were still getting Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting, <laughs> tips. Um, but, yeah, really nice nightlife. Lovely, lovely people. One of those festivals where you, like, get to know the volunteers pretty well, mm, yeah. um, which is always really lovely. Um... Yeah, yeah, and it went well. We didn't make a ton of money, but we did come out ahead. Okay. That's, so that's all that you know, matters. That's important. <laughs> I always, you know, anytime you're doing a theater, if you can come out, if you can break even or come out ahead yeah. even a little bit, you're doing okay. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a festival I want to go back to. And it's cool because mm-hmm. we haven't done Indecision there before. So right, so you could. We could always go back next year. We don't yeah. need to write a whole new show for it. Um, yeah, and then Windsor was Windsor was really nice because, especially because Kyle is from Windsor mm-hmm. so we had very really awesome friendly audiences uh, there was one show that was a um, it was like a 2 o'clock on a Wednesday or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. and we were like oh no one's going to come to this show and Kyle's grandmother was like <laughs> Kyle's grandmother said oh uh, okay I'll bring all my friends that day and that was our biggest audience <laughs> um, yeah Windsor was a fun time it's a pretty small festival yeah. it's 13 shows okay. yeah. which is cool because we saw all of them oh yeah 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 and then yeah. there were even there were days where like we don't even need to go today because we've seen all the shows that are playing today oh, yeah. mm. uh, which is weird because usually weird. at a fringe I'm like I need to see five each day and I'm gonna yeah. miss half of them it's hard with some of the like you know the Toronto fringes uh, huge and, uh, well Winnipeg and Edmonton they're, they're fringes that um, like the shows start at like noon or one in the afternoon right. and go until evening whereas uh something like hamilton they start like maybe five or six right some of the smaller fringes are like that it's sometimes hard to know how to fill your day yes when there's no sh- like number one when the shows don't start until five and 
also when you like you've seen all the shows yeah 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 absolutely uh and you're like how how much can i flyer today how much how much inner strength do i have in me (laughs) oh do you do you do you find flyering difficult um i go back and forth it's one of those things i i'll always walk out and be like ugh I don't want to do this. And then once I start doing it, I'm like, oh, I actually don't... Like, I like that. I like talking to people. Mm. I like talking to people on my show. I do find it's something that gets harder as the festival goes on, partially because you're getting tired as a performer. And I think the audience is also getting frustrated with constantly being pitched to. They know what shows they're going to see. Yeah, I I often think it's it's hard at a smaller fringe because you are kind of seeing the same people. Yeah. You don't want to flyer people more than once, you know? It's, it's yeah. hard to remember who you flyered. Uh, that's when I do the, have I already talked to you about my show, Bedwetter? Yeah. As if, like, I kind of remember you. And then yeah. it's like, no, I'm like, oh, great. And if like, yes, I'm like, I thought so. How yeah. are you doing today? Nice. Uh, I yeah. shouldn't have told my secret on No, 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 it's all good. It's all that's good. okay, they won't listen. I'm sure they're, they're, I'm sure they're not listening. <laughs> they're, they're, they're seeing shows at other fringes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, have, you, have you done other, like, some of the larger fringes, like, in Western Canada? Or? I haven't gone out West yet. Um, I would really like to. Uh, Toronto's the largest one I've done. Mm-hmm. I've done Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, Windsor, London. Okay. I feel like I'm forgetting one. Um, Did you do Montreal? No, I've never done no, Montreal. You'd remember Montreal. I would remember Montreal. Or, or maybe, maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd remember some of the days, maybe yes, not many of the not nights. Not many of the nights, no. That's, that's a common theme of yeah. Montreal Fringe. When did you start performing, or what, what? when was it that you realized that performing was something that you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, it's actually funny. I was, uh, you had my sister on the podcast a few weeks ago, oh, yeah, Christina uh, Bryson. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, so here's the thing. I sat down, and I, I, I started talking to her, and I heard her name, and I almost said, you Tamlin sister, but I didn't want to make an assumption. Right. But... I was like, I wonder if that's Tamlin's sister. Yeah, that's yeah. my big sister. So it's funny. I was listening to that that episode, and her story of getting involved in theater is linked to my story. Okay. But her account of it, um, as as detailed on the podcast, was my sister was this weird kid, and our parents were like, "What do we do with this thing?" and put her in drama classes. <laughs> oh, um, now, now that whole story like, has it. I, I right. See it now. <laughs> and she was always talking to her hands. Like I was not always talking to my hands. There was. Like a week where I named my hands and feet. Um, but, which is true. Like, I think I was a kid with a lot of energy and my parents thought that that would be a good fit for me. But I remember it as um, I was in a play in grade one, mm-hmm. um, Little Red Riding Hood. I was Little Red Riding Hood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, always the star. No. <laughs> no, not not true at all. Um and I remember at the end of the play, I was supposed to spin around and say my last line. And I spun and I tripped on my cape and I fell. And all the parents laughed. And then I stood up and looked at the director. And I said, should I do that again? And all the parents laughed again. <laughs> and that was when I learned that when you make a mistake on stage, you just keep going. Ah. Valuable lesson. But yeah, after that play, that was the first time I was in a play. And I said something to my parents about, like, I want to keep doing this. Mm. And they found summer camps and such. An after-school program at the Ottawa School of Speech and Drama. It's where I spent a lot of my life as a child mm-hmm. and as a teenager. And then, yeah, it was kind of always in my mind what I wanted to do when I grew up. And then I had a mini... Like, when you get to grade 11, grade 12, and you have to start actually, like, 
do I not take math this year? And if I don't take math, I can't apply for these 20 things in university. It's like that moment where suddenly you're like, am I really going to do yeah. this? this? Now they're making me decide things. That I'm maybe not ready to decide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had my little, my little doubts there. And I did apply to three universities for psychology as well as theater schools. Um, but I actually, my in grade 11, uh, in my high school, they did a a show called The Neon Bible Project the year ahead of me, the grade 12s okay. that year, as their graduating show, and they took it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Okay. Um, and I went with them as sound operator. Mm-hmm. And just, that was my first, I guess my first Fringe that wasn't the Ottawa Fringe. How, how old were you at that point? Uh, grade 11, so 17, I would just, it was the summer after, so I would just went, been 17. You went to the Edinburgh Fringe at 17? Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. That must have been intense. Yeah, but, like, amazing. Yeah. Just, like, I mean, it's just a beautiful place, mm-hmm. like, all these beautiful hills. And then you're walking the streets, and, like, everyone, there's just flyers everywhere. Everyone's excited about theater. And I saw some of my favorite shows that I've ever seen there. Mm. And I think that was really the trip where I, I still went through and applied to the psychology schools, but I think that was a trip where I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was seeing plays and I was like, yes, that's what I want to create. Okay. That's yeah. the kind of thing that I want to experience and make other people experience. Um, so I think that was really one of the, which is cool that it's a fringe mm-hmm. and now that's something yeah. I'm trying to do a little more. Did anybody fight you on the doing this as a, as a, like a career thing? Uh... I don't think anybody fought me on it. Um, my parents were very, are very, were and are very supportive. Um, kind of just random strangers or like acquaint, like right. friends, mom's friend. Yeah. You know, like I remember when I was in when I was in theater school, right. having a conversation with one of my friends' mom's friends, and saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm in theater school," and she kind of gave me this speech about like oh, you know, that's going to be hard, and I have this friend who's an actor, and he is always paycheck to paycheck and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what are you doing? Are you trying to get me to drop out of school? Like, I'm already... And also, it was one of those, like, do you think I'm not aware yeah, that no. this is I think, hard? I think, I mean, well, the parental... People with that parental yes. instinct are trying to save you from poor decisions or what they think are poor decisions yes you know and a life of disappointment Um, i have met people who are the disappointed actor mm -hmm. in later life um and you know i i've I've met a couple like that and you know i could see if that's what you think the world is then you know you might be better and things like that but of course i think a lot of us I think most people that I've spoken to, we go into this with our eyes open. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And theater schools kind of make sure that you go into it with your yeah. eyes open. There's nobody who's, who's like, giving you the illusion that you are going to live in a gorgeous love Yeah, apartment. pretty much, like, the first thing they tell you, one of the first things they told us at theater school was they were like, okay, you're all talented, and you know that, and, like, that's, it's not a big deal anymore. Like... What school did you go to? I went to the University of Windsor. Okay. Um, yeah. Which was, a, I really, really enjoyed my time there. But yeah, it was kind of like in high school, you're maybe the one of a few people yeah. who kind of like maybe stand out a little bit. Um, and then you get to theater school and those were all the people who mm-hmm. stood out a little bit in high school. Yeah. And 
And yeah, they're very, you know, like, I, I found Windsor still a very encouraging atmosphere. But yeah, they're realistic about, like, you're, it's not just your talent that's going to get you by. Yeah. Having talent doesn't make you special anymore. You need to do other things. And, um, which is also when, when, like, people I barely knew would start lecturing me on how hard it is to act. I was like, yeah, like, my teachers tell me that every day. Yeah. Like, my teachers who've lived this life. Yeah. It's um, always important is, I think, that if you go to a theater school to have teachers that, that do it. And have them. yeah. If you have Absolutely. somebody who's like been at the university for twenty years, then they're yeah, not necessarily in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I was auditioning for George Brown, we got the "No One Wants You" speech. Like Ooh. we, they sat us in a room, and the head of the uh, head of acting at the time, Peter Wilde, gave us "No One Wants You." That was his first line. Right. That's, that's the you know, you're a dime a dozen. All this. Right. Stuff. And of course. We were all like 18, 19 years old going, fuck you, man. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah. I will conquer all. Like, you know, <laughs> you have just, no idea. You have no idea. Of course, we all learned. Bright I can shine. Yeah. I mean, we all figured out what he really meant during the yeah. year, you know, about what it's like as, as an actor. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think even knowing that, most of us, I think all of us would have, like, pursued the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we were in our 20s. What did we know? I know a lot of people who stopped. Yep. Because, um, you know, when you hit 30-ish, you start to think, huh, having <laughs> stuff is kind of cool. Yeah. You know? Be nice to own a house. Nice or just rent a nice one. <laughs> be able to have a, an apartment and not have roommates, you know? Yeah. You know? But um, when you were applying for school, did you apply for a bunch of schools? Yeah. Um, yeah, I applied for... Five theater schools. I applied for Windsor, Ryerson, George Brown, mm-hmm. National Theater School, and Studio 58 in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up not going to my Ryerson or George Brown auditions because uh, I was living in Ottawa at the time okay. and I'd already gotten accepted to Windsor. Okay. And I, I, I like, I really respect both those programs, but I had kind of like toured them and I, I got the sense that I wouldn't have been as good of a fit there. I think mm-hmm. they were a little bit more. Um, especially George Brown, a little bit more, yeah, nobody wants you speech, like a little more like harsh reality, a little more tough love. Yep. And I don't think my fragile 18 year old well, self could have quite. I mean, I, I think, you know, our, my fragile self retreated into a lot of stuff when I was, when I was there. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just how we deal. Yeah. And I mean, not that Windsor was all, you know, butterflies and roses <laughs> either. I, I, I definitely had to face some hard truths about myself and mm-hmm. all that. But yeah, I'd already gotten into Windsor and I, I wasn't living in Toronto. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, sp- we're going to spend money to go to Toronto and pay this audition fee and do this audition just to see if I can get in. Right. And I was in rehearsal for another show at the time. And I was like, Oh, whatever. Let's just not go. But I kind of always, you know, I'll, I'll always wonder if I, I always wonder if I, w- I, yeah. I would have gotten in. But here's the question is the important question is if you'd gotten in, do you think that you would have taken, you would have gone, no. No? No. I don't think so. Because I think that's why I was so... Then there's no, there's no reason to, to, to... Exactly. Really no reason to wonder because you wouldn't have gone anyway. I wouldn't have gone. I was just... I'm just like, I wonder if I would have gotten in. But then in my head I can just be like, I would have. It's of fine. Hypothetical. <laughs> you don't even yeah. have to... Yeah. Um, when did you... So, I mean, you had this really early experience at the Edinburgh Fringe mm-hmm. seeing people who created shows and mm-hmm. performed them. Um, when did you figure out or decide that that that's what you wanted to do. Was it at when you were at Edinburgh or did it, did it take you a while to figure that out? <sighs> I don't really know. I think I I think I've always been 
interested in creating work. Um, and in our in our high school, I went to an arts high school in Ottawa called Canterbury. Um, you know, and, how, you have no idea how many people I have run into who went to Canterbury. I yeah, I'm not surprised. It's like, <laughs> if I meet, I meet people, and and I, I almost know that one person in the group, or at least yeah. one, two people. If they say they're Ottawa, I'm like Canterbury. Canterbury? Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, we did a lot of kind of like devised stuff there, like collective work. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did a lot of devised work at Windsor. And that that was uh, really interesting to me and something that really interested me. Like the the shows that did uh, really catch my attention when I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festivals. um, And when I saw like shows at the Ottawa Fringe when I was younger. um, Were those ones that were kind of different Mm -hmm. and like to me, were clearly written in a different way or conceived in a different way. Right. Um, yeah, and then I guess I, in third year, I was just like, I want to write a one-woman show. I want to, something that was really drilled into us at Windsor is that you need to create your own work, mm. um, especially at the beginning. You have whether no that's how rare that is for people to say. Really? Well, I'm, well, here's the question. Did they also teach you about how to produce it, or did they just say you have to create your own work? Um... Yes and no. Um, I I took a a certificate in arts management from the University of Windsor as well. Um, So I had a bit of a leg up on how to produce. Um, But I think what I learned the most from through that program was the internships was like actually doing it. Okay. Um, Yeah, and I think it's something that they kind of tried to teach us, but... I feel like I feel like a lot of people are kind of like, well, we want to create stuff, but how how do we do it? Um, or it was stuff that you know our profs would help us with if we went to them, but wasn't necessarily taught in classes. Yeah, um, I think that that's the missing piece of the puzzle, and I'm waiting for theater schools to start doing that. Because, yeah, um, you know, more and more people are acknowledging that that you know you have to create your own work. Yes. But nobody's really saying, and this, these are the skills that you need to do that. Yes. They're kind of assuming that your career is still going to be go to the audition, get the job, go to the audition, get the job. Right. Without, like, the create the work, perform, produce the work, perform the work, get the right. audition, like, interspersed with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how did you, how um, did you learn to produce? <laughs> still learning. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so a lot of the intros to it were from from the, my arts administration courses. Mm-hmm. Like I learned how to write a press release from that, mm. and um, which I still sometimes I'm not sure. I'm like, is this still the format people use? I Am I it's, doing it right? It's one of those things that for me is still like the mystery. Like especially if you're creating the show, like I yeah. can't see. It's hard to be like, okay, I have all these things in my head. Yeah, how do I put this into a press release so that it sounds like something you want to see? Yes. And something you want to write about. Yes. Something that's interesting to, like, publish an article about. Mm. Um, Bedwetter has, like, a nice edge to it because because it's based on true story and, like, you can work stuff in in there about, like, bullying and right, coming right, to terms right. with who you are. But, like, Indecision I found tricky yeah. to write a press release for. Um, yeah, so I guess I just... I learned some stuff from the University of Windsor and then some stuff from... Uh, I did an internship with a company of fools, mm-hmm. uh, which is in Ottawa... Shakespeare Meets Clown okay. theater group. Yeah, so I learned some stuff. Yeah, through, yeah. yeah uh, they're really lovely. I learned a lot from working with them. And then a lot of it you kind of just figure out and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like one of our first 
our first year indecision was initially called working title undecided because it was about making decisions and we thought right. that was a clever title but as a marketing from a marketing standpoint people thought the show wasn't finished people thought it was going to be unpolished because of that title oh. we were constantly explaining why we thought the title was funny and right, we were right, like right. well maybe it's not funny if yeah, we have, if to, have explain to explain that, that. Yeah. um or Last year when I did a French tour, I was like, I don't have enough pictures. People are always asking me for pictures for media, for, like, Mm -hmm. newspapers and stuff. And I'm like, here's my poster. They're like, okay, do you have anything else? I'm like, nope. Or, or like, here's this one rehearsal shot that's kind of not the best quality. Mm. So I'm still learning as I go. Um, And what's nice about what I really like about French festivals is that some of it they help you with, you know, like they are providing you with a venue. They're providing you with a technician. Mm -hmm. Um, they're doing some marketing for you. Um, but yeah, I'm still, or there's still always something that I either forget about or I I, I leave, you know, when you leave something until you still have enough time to do it, but now it's stressful. (laughs) Um, there's a lot of that this year. Yeah. Like, Oh, I still have time to get out my press release, but I need to do it like today. (laughs) You know, the, the funny thing, the thing that I find is that, you know, you, you in theory know the things that you have to get, mm-hmm. and that, but then there's also, like, all the other million things, and so you're yeah. trying to decide, you're trying to prioritize, especially for friends where it's like, uh, this is all me. Yeah. You're like, you know, who's your team? Me? Yeah, me. Or it's like, me and Kyle. Yeah. And then... There's only so much that... And do. as producer, like, I sometimes end up kind of being costume designer and props designer or like we're kind of sharing that but if yeah uh yeah it's those weird little or i did a play last year at the auto fringe festival called hashtag stay strong Mm -hmm. and that one i i wanted to do it on my own i wanted to do it all by myself just to see if i could so i was writing it acting Mm -hmm. in it directing it i had a stage manager uh but she didn't come on until kind of like right before we went to fringe right because um, I was like, oh, I just need someone to like run the show, right? And I was like, no, stage managers do a lot in rehearsal yeah, yeah, processes yeah, 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 yeah. that would have been useful yeah. um, to have someone else there. And then it was also a multimedia show, so I was also oh, doing yeah, yeah. all this sound design and like right. trying to create this like PowerPoint slideshow to go under the whole thing without really knowing what I was doing. And it was, and also producing it. Yeah. And it was too much. Yeah. It was too much, and it was not fun. And I think the. Uh, the work suffered for it because I stopped enjoying it. Yeah. And I didn't become an actor to go into a room by myself and talk to myself alone. No. Five times a week. That's no. not fun. Um, I've sort of, when I'm thinking about the self-producing stuff, I'm trying to see what I can front load. Like, yeah. this, like how early can I get pictures done? How early right. can I, like, and you know, I end up making my own poster. So how early, once I have a yes. picture, how early can I at least get the basic poster done and then like figure out where details are going to go and yeah how much can i front load before i don't have time anymore because i'm rehearsing and trying to put the show together that's a really great way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm always like i don't need to do pictures yet right oh, <laughs> um, i'm like if i'm and it's hard when you haven't written the show yet oh yeah I that's know. what i struggle with is like i don't know what the promotional pictures will be yet because i don't know exactly what whatever in in a way i think you need to plan to do two sets of promotional pictures mm. there's pictures that may be used for early pr- publicity or maybe the post some imagery for the poster when it's all high concept mm-hmm. um and then once you have the show you get a photographer to come in and like 
shoot in the space right. or the rehearsal or something like that so you have like some actual show pictures but it doesn't matter really how accurate the poster pictures or the yeah. promo pictures are because they don't matter quite as much as the production photos I right think. right I mean, maybe i'm wrong about that but and like probably your show isn't going to completely change like you know bedwetter is me standing in a diaper yeah like, it's probably still, no matter yeah. what the show turns out to be, me standing in a diaper will probably be relevant if it's still called Bedwetter. Yeah. I often, like, for me, I, if the, you usually start with with an image, and if you've got a good image, then I say, like, get that photograph done, or get those right. photographs done so you have that imagery, because that's your initial sales image, because it's the first thing that occurred to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, base stuff around that, and sure, maybe it's not completely accurate, but doesn't need to be. It just needs to get the bums right. in the seat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, producing's a weird one. It's a, it's also... I've never produced when I'm not also acting in it. Mm. And also, like, yeah. kind of writing and finishing up the show. Yeah. Um, so it's always this thing that, yeah, gets this stressful point of, like you're saying, when you're knee-deep in rehearsals, and then you're like, ah, I forgot to do this. I need to buy buttons. We're going to sell buttons, and I don't have buttons. I, you sell buttons? Yeah, we we sold buttons this, uh... Shit, I give buttons away. I don't know what I was We did them, we did them by donation. Oh, okay. Which is nice. So, like, some, and some people we just give them to, like, our, our technicians or whatever, and then some people give you, like, a dollar, but then some people will give you five or... Mm. Your dad will give you 20, and you'll be like, all right. Yeah. I won't say no. Or some people, yeah, they'll just really love your show, and it's just another mm-hmm. on their way out, like, hey, grab a button, it's by donation. Yeah. Um, and then if they just take one, it's still, you know, cost you, whatever, 30, 40 cents, yeah. and it's promotion. But yeah, if they want to drop you five bucks, it's pretty oh, sweet. Hey, that helps to go towards the cost of the thing. Yeah, the beer. Or the beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and the show, yeah. And the I show. Guess. I was thinking yeah. about the show, but yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the, usually at the end of the show, the beer is the more yeah. pressing concern. Yeah. Um, it's funny because the whole producing thing is you end up writing the press release mm-hmm. when you're like in the thick of rehearsal. Because yep. that's when you're like, okay, now I need to know, now I know what the show is. Yes. And now I have to write a press release. And it's like the worst time to write the press release. Yeah. I don't even know how to navigate that. Yeah. Do, does the, the production stuff not, like, the 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 course, the, the, the certificate from the school, does that mm-hmm. help at all with that? Or are you as lost as, as like, <laughs> when it comes time to do that? Uh, I mean, it definitely helped, again, in, this, in the sense that, like, I, I have a format to follow. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this year I was, like, in a Starbucks trying not to cry, <laughs> being like, I need to get this done tonight. I Also, one of the things I'm constantly reminding myself is that it's okay to ask for help especially like when I have Kyle there as my creative partner mm-hmm. and we were kind of this year I I took on we both wrote it he directed it I was acting and then he took on more of the stage manager responsibilities and I was taking on more of the producing responsibilities mm-hmm. then there was one day we were rehearsing and I was like oh, I'm so stressed out I need to get all these things done and he was like do you need me to do anything and I was like yeah, if you could just get the posters printed, uh, everything yeah. would be fun. Like, I've already got them designed. They're made. If you can just... It was this one tiny thing. I mean, yeah. not tiny. It still took him time, of course. But just like, right, I have a partner. I can ask for yeah. help. And even when I was doing Hashtag Stay Strong all by myself, like, a lot of my friends were like, I would have, you know, helped put up posters for you. I would, And, yeah. and some did, and, and that was great. It can be a hard thing to realize that, that asking for help is not a failure. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I want to, I don't like asking for free help, especially from my artist friends, because that happens so much. Yeah. And that's a tough one for, for Fringe. Yeah. Because you, you're thinking, you feel like, okay, people should get paid. I know I'm not getting paid, but people should get paid for doing what they're doing. Yeah. But I need the help, and I know they're willing, but they should be paid. Like, it's yeah. Like, you go back and forth. There's no real great way to do it. Exactly. But but then knowing that, you know, some people are like, yeah, I'll help you out with with your publicity, and then next time we do something, maybe you can help us out. Like, maybe you can help us hang posters next year. Yeah. Or maybe you can volunteer at our fundraiser. Like remember that. All oh, right, other people need small free things too, yeah. and if we're if we're trading, it's not quite the same as you're not, just you're asking not someone to do free work. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's sort of like an important part of the indie community is that is mm-hmm. that we need to feel like we can do that kind of stuff. Like I think we all bear our cross, and we're like, I'm, I'm. Oh, it's all me. I have to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And but you know, we can help each other, and then you help me, and I help you. And that's yeah, yeah. Um, which is one of those things that it's good to remember that you know. We're all in it together. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> High school musical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's got a barn. Let's do a show. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Yeah. Is there a barn in High School Musical? No. Like, uh, no, because I never saw High School Musical. My, my oh. thing, like, they were all the, the old Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movies. Gotcha. Are, like, I'm old, so that's, that's for, I'm not even that old. Like, not that old, but that's where my brain went, so. Yeah. Um, do you remember what the first piece of theater that you saw was? I don't. No. Um, my parents used to take me to the, one of the museums would have plays a lot. Um, I can't remember which one. Probably the Museum of Civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do that a lot as kids. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's kind of always been something that. Okay. Well, it sounds like life. your parents. I mean, you said you were mentioning going to the Ottawa Fringe when you were younger. And yeah. That's something that I think a lot of people don't do with their kids. Yeah, I think I feel like Fringe. I started going to more, like in high school okay. times. But yeah, I feel like my my parents definitely took us to. Like the National Arts Center occasionally, and we'd see like musicals when they came through nice. town, and um, and like my parents are still, you know, season subscribers to a couple of theaters in Ottawa, nice. which is nice because sometimes with your friends and family, you're like, are you just going to plays because I'm in plays and you feel bad for us? You're like, oh no, you just it's, are it's doing nice this. To, it's nice to know that they like just like theater. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I was thinking about that with movies the other day. Some mm. some people remember the first movie they ever saw in theaters. I'm like, I have no idea. See, now that you brought it up, I'm trying to remember. Actually, actually, um, I know because I lived in Belleville mm-hmm. and there was a, a, a drive-in oh. uh, in Belleville that opened every season with Dumbo. Right. So the first thing they would show every year is Disney's Dumbo, and that was the first movie I ever saw. First play, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I have a couple of vague memories of a couple of pantos or kids shows. Yeah. I don't know what they were. I have this memory of a a play that was being performed in our elementary school. And they were doing this bit where one one of the actors was kind of manipulating the other actor as if it was like a doll, as if it was kind of like a ventriloquist puppet. And I remember having this moment where I forgot that he was human for a second <laughs> and I just believed he was a doll because they were doing it so well and then I was like, whoa! That's so awesome. Yeah, I remember that moment so clearly. Mm. Um, and that must have been like grade like two or three. Mm. Um, 
the magic of theater. Kind of the, important, the important thing of like having plays that come into schools, mm-hmm. um, regardless of of how big or small they are, yeah. is that you know, at a certain age, kids will go with anything. Yeah, and have and those once they hit like ten or eleven, they don't think they won't go with anything. <laughs> you know, before yeah. that. But they'll also, young kids will also oh, call you out. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm bored. If you're not it doesn't make sense. Like, no. <laughs> um, they're an honest audience. They're very honest. Yeah. They will not sit quietly and clap politely. No. That's something we're uh, thinking about with Bedwetter is adapting it to really? be a school performance. It's something a lot of people, um, when they see it, have said, you know, have you thought about bringing this to schools? Mm. And it's definitely, we're really interested with it. It's just tricky. It's tricky because right now, in my mind, it's written for, it's written for an adult audiences. Right. And some stuff is, you know, like, we can take out the swearing. That's easy. Yeah. Um, like, there's a section where I talk about, um, in grade seven and eight, I got bullied, um, unrelated to the bedwetting. Yeah. Um, but it was, a, you know, another layer of what would, how much worse would the bullying get if they knew that I was wetting the bed? And, mm. and I kind of am in that section talking about how like grade seven is this terrible time right. and it's, you don't want to be the new kid. You don't want to be the weird kid. You don't want to be that kid who goes to musical theater camp and sings to herself. Um, which is kind of for adults to look back on that. It's kind of, they can laugh at it, but if you're, I don't know if you're presenting to a grade six class the and the next year they're going to grade seven, yeah. you don't want to just be like, it's going to suck. But maybe there's a way we can adapt that sec. But also kids going through that yeah. are like, yeah, you're right. So just things like that, that how can we adapt that to still still keep the truth of what it is, but maybe be a little more delicate with it? Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know whether you should or not. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wrote something for an audience, a particular audience, does it lose something if you adapt it to something else? Right. And it's hard to know. Because it might seem like, Oh, this could work in schools if we make some changes. Right. But then, is it still the same show? Right. Hard to know. Yeah, it's tricky. And, like, what... Because right now, just with, like, you know, if we take out some fucks, we could do it at um, high schools pretty easily. Like, I think it would be... That age group would be well-suited to. Do you really have to take out the fucks for high school? I don't know. I don't know if you do, because I have a friend who does a, who's done a solo show... At a couple of high schools, and she, I think she kept the shits and fucks in. All right. Um, so maybe, I guess it depends on the school. Maybe the school, yeah. Maybe some of the schools are like, um. shits, fucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like right now, the way the show's written, I think it could make sense for a high school audience. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but some of the messages might be better suited to like a grade six or seven mm-hmm. audience, like where they're kind of going through these changes and learning about, Yeah. like maybe it's more beneficial to them to hear about like bullying and stigmas and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think we need to talk to, like, someone with teaching training or drama and education training a little more and, like, have them look at the script and... See, actually, see if you can find, like, a, a teacher or a principal who might book that kind of stuff. Yeah. And find out. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that in the community there are people who could, who could let you know. Yeah. Because... Absolutely. And, well, Kyle's mom works for a school board in Windsor, so... Well, they, they, there are probably some resources there yeah. that you can find out from. <laughs> Because maybe it's not, maybe you don't have to change as much. Yeah. As and think. yeah, maybe some of it's just in my head. I'm like, yeah. this, I'm also just like, will kids, will kids be interested in hearing me talk for an hour? But again, it is very like stylized in yeah. moments. And I don't think it will ever be for a grade one, two, three. No, 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 no. Um, audience? Um, 
But yeah, that's something we're thinking about. Can I go back to something that you mentioned early on when you were talking no, about creating all? Absolutely network? not. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for coming. Okay, bye, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> um, one of the things that I wanted to, I, it's, you were talking earlier about when you were creating the show, mm-hmm. um, wondering was the, is this just therapy? Mm-hmm. Is it just just Tamlin wants to talk? Mm-hmm. Um, what helped you to figure out that a it wasn't therapy and that it wasn't just Tamlin wants to talk? <laughs> Um, I think a lot of that was having having Kyle as uh, a partner and seeing that he was like, I'm interested. Because, mm, okay. um, I mean, that's kind of the baseline of theater, right? Is it should be interesting, whether it's funny or sad or right, right, right. making you think or making you laugh. It should, you should want to keep watching it. Yes. Um, and then actually, uh, what I really did learn from actually performing it, what Cal and I both learned from London and Windsor, uh, what, the reason I thought it was kind of a cool show was because it's some, something people haven't really heard about. Right. Or the few friends I talked to about it before I even started writing it were like, that's cool because I've never heard that story before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what's the thing about bedwetting, we talk about this in show a lot, is it's actually pretty common, but no one ever talks about it. It's right. like one in, one in seven kids will struggle with going to bed at some point. So that was really cool performing it or even flyering it and having people say, I dealt with that until I was nine, until I was 14, right, until right, I right. was 12. Um, you know, having a, I had a gentleman come up to me after one of my shows and, you know, just commend me on how brave I was. He was like, I, I went through that. I've never told anyone. Wow. Um, and it was kind of, I was like, oh man, our silly little show is actually I think it's helping always cool people. when somebody comes up to you after this show and says, I went through that. Yeah, and like you nailed this moment. Or I got a lot of um, older people telling me it will come back. (laughs) I was like, thanks. (laughs) That's the piece I don't want to hear. Yeah, or some people who said I went through that when I was younger, and when I get drunk, it comes back, (laughs) which I've thankfully never dealt with. But it's one of those. It's one of those fears that once in a while, when you're like sharing a bed with someone, and you're like, Am I? No, it hasn't happened in like ten years. That's actually got to be kind of scary. Yeah. That was one of my big fears when I started becoming a teenager. And again, we talk about this in the show, is like getting to the age where I was interested in boys and I was, you know, not necessarily wanting to have sex yet, but like, oh, eventually in my life I will be sharing beds with people. I will be sleeping with people. And I'm like, am I going to have to explain to them that I put on a diaper the other night? And am I going to have to like sneak out and not sleep over? Like... It's, yeah. yeah, and you're already going through the teen angst of like, am I even pretty? Like, will yeah. anyone even like me? <laughs> did I mean when people were coming up to you? Did they they share more of their stories, or was it just like I, you know, I used to, and then they're gone? Or did anybody like tell you about how they dealt with it? Um, yeah, some people, yeah, some people definitely like told me a bit more of their stories. Um, uh, or some people were like, I had a friend who went through it, and they did this method. Did you ever try this mm. method? Um, and if they hadn't seen the show yet, I would say, well, I talk about all the methods I try. Come see the show. <laughs> um, but there were some things that I'd never even heard of um, until we started researching the show. And then and then afterwards, hearing people be like, oh, have you heard of like moisture alarms and this and that? And uh-huh. I was like, yeah, I never tried those. There's apparently research now that, because I wore diapers every night mm-hmm. and apparently there's some research now that that's not what you're supposed to do because no, okay. uh, you're so su- you should feel uncomfortable like it right. should wake you up right. Right, right right i guess i guess um 
you, we should, you know, look that up with like a real doctor. I only have to know what I'm talking about. But I mean, we're, um, just to be clear, that nobody in this room is a, a early childhood educator or yes. a pediatrician or anything. So no. we don't actually know. Don't take our medical. Don't. Advice. Yeah, go Google it. Yes. Uh, no, no, no. Don't, don't Google it. Like, talk to an actual medical professor. Through Google. Google. Tell you that you have something terrible. <sighs> <sighs> it's just not a good idea. Um, but yeah, so there were some interesting things about that. Or I remember uh, on Dragon's Den a few years ago, uh, there was a, I think it was called the pee, the pee pad. Um, it was a product they were pitching. Basically, it was it's like a blanket that you put out, but it's pretty absorbent. Mm-hmm. But you can still feel the moisture. So if the kid pees the bed, they wake up and they can just take off oh, the yeah, blanket yeah, and go yeah, back yeah. to sleep. Okay. Like they don't okay. have to change their sheets in the middle of the night. Right. But they still feel it and wake up. Okay. And then they can watch it the next day. And I remember watching that at the time and being like, just wear diapers. How is this, how is this easier than diapers? But I guess it's because there's some research that... Okay. You become too complacent in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. It becomes too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where it's would a you weird like time. Bedwetter next. Or, like, because now you have two shows. Mm-hmm. You could do at Fringes. Mm-hmm. Um, which one do you feel... Do you, is there one that you feel like, this is the one that I want to do first in a city, and then when I come, if I come back, I'll do this one? Or do you have, a, do you have an idea about not, it? Not per se. Uh, Bedwetter is easier to tour just set-wise. Um, well, you do have the big chalkboard. That, that chalkboard's in. the bane of my existence. That's, I mean, that's a good idea, but that's like one of those, like, okay, so we have the idea, now how do we tour? We have the idea, but we don't have a van, and we need to get a chalkboard from Ottawa to Windsor. So how did you get a um, chalkboard from place to place? Sometimes, a couple times my parents drove it in their little mm-hmm. SUV thing. Uh, one time a friend of mine was was traveling anyway to like come back from school and brought it one time i basically just uh one of my friends when i was taking to windsor uh one of my friends lived there and had a van and so i just paid his gas and then he just used that as an excuse to go visit his parents for a couple days um my boyfriend at the time's parents drove it once like it was just like it was just favors and and every time i wasn't sure if it was going to happen um so if you were to have to tour this show if you were have to have to to tour Indecision, like say to like a Winnipeg or an Edmonton, yeah, I have no idea. You'd have to take a van or something. I have no idea, mm-hmm. or build one there, or did you build that chalkboard or did yeah, you- a friend of ours did. Um, and it's what's nice about it is that it does it does come apart into a few pieces, mm-hmm. but it's still just that the pain, like the jock the chalkboard yes. surface. You can't fold up. Or it's like, or is there someone who maybe we could pay a little bit more who could make it more compact? Mm. But yeah, that's the the tricky thing with indecision. That is is really tough because sometimes there are shows that that seem good in concept and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yes, now we must move this thing. It's such an easy set. It's basically just a chalkboard. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's a big chalkboard. (laughs) But it's like, you can't really do the show without it. Um. Yeah, so Bedwetter's definitely easier to tour. I think right now we're more excited about Bedwetter just because it's new, right. and we've only done it a couple places. Even Indecision, I guess we only did it four festivals, mm-hmm. but it was over a couple years, and we did a couple times at our school and then at just Windsor in a mm-hmm. theater. So it, it kind of felt like one we were ready to take a little breather from. Right. Whereas Bedwetter's like, new, we've only done two places. Yeah. We only did one night of it in Toronto. Most of our friends couldn't come. It was the Monday after the long weekend. Yeah. Like, um, 
But but it's so it's not necessarily like we would need to take one to a city before the other. But it's like, yeah, like London, like oh we haven't done indecision there, and we have a yeah. show that's pretty much ready to go. Boom. I had a question and I've forgotten it. So yeah. That's an embarrassing moment. Then. Yeah. And so and and then of course to like admit that I forgot it probably not. Yeah. You know, because that's it's not as embarrassing as peeing yourself no. when you're on your period. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, not as embarrassing as. Um, I had, the the question was really about. Um, oh, I don't remember. Forget it. I don't know. I don't know. That's it for me. I'm. I guess uh, Tamlin podcast is yours now. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hi everyone. I'm your host Tamlin Bryson. <laughs> um, it's funny. I was on another podcast. Uh, some friends of mine, the Books Are Boring podcast, and they had a whole segment where they pretended I was the host for like ten minutes. <laughs> People just hand them, keep handing podcasts to me, well, guys. You, know, you have a collection. I'm just yeah. so, uh, so uh, nope. Can't even come up with an no, adjective. With, with 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 these two shows. So Bedwetter is the one that's sort of easier to tour. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you've had a year off, now I remember the question. You've sort of uh, like had like a season away from indecision. Yes. Um, do you feel like you've had enough of a break from it that you can find that enthusiasm for it again? Or do you, do you kind of feel like, I'm going to need a little bit more time away from it? No, I definitely, uh, like, I would definitely be excited to do it again. And, and I never fully lost the enthusiasm okay. for it. Whereas, like, Stay Strong, I did it once and I was like, I'm done. I'm taking a break. <laughs> maybe forever. Maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the thing with Indecision 2 is that we'd done it so many times uh, that it was like a lot of our friends had already seen it. It was getting harder right. and harder to get people out to shows. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely still excited about Indecision. Yeah, it's nice having the year off. It'd be nice to return to it. Mm-hmm. And there was, it'd be nice to re-examine it a little bit. Like, I'm pretty happy with... Uh, I'm, very, I'm very proud of that show, and I'm pretty happy with its format. But there were some things doing it, uh, doing it at three festivals last year. There'd be these little moments that I was like, wait, why did we decide this like I don't I know that there was a conversation but don't remember why or like teeny tiny like plot holes is a strong word Mm. but teeny tiny like oh maybe this writing isn't the strongest way to get this narrative across I think Um, like when you go back to something it it's a good idea to revisit it yeah just I mean you could but I think you can learn from the last time yeah and re-examine it and see what could be improved there's always that opportunity I think or there were always some moments where there were there were visions we had for the show that it it didn't it never quite worked out that way, mm-hmm. like um, uh, so part of for those of you who haven't seen Indecision, uh, chalk is a big motif. Um, and there's a chalkboard, and then other things become the chalkboard, and just something as simple as like the floor becoming a chalkboard happens mm-hmm. in the show, but very briefly. Yeah. Um, and there was one day I was like, oh, could I have used the floor more? But then it's also hard when you're touring spaces. That's the thing is you don't know what kind of floor you're going to have. Yeah. You don't know if they're going to get pissed if you write on the floor. Yeah. There was one one festival, I forgot which one, where I didn't write on the floor at all. It was just too complicated. Uh, yeah. If you write on the floor, you then have to mop the floor. Yeah. And that takes up some of your time. Yeah. You know. Um, I think it was Toronto. I think Toronto I didn't write on the floor. Because you saw me write on the floor, so I must have been Hamilton. Yeah. I saw you in Hamilton. I didn't see it in Toronto. Toronto probably would not have wanted to. Yeah, I don't think they let me write on the floor. Um, But yeah, even just little things like, oh, we always wanted to do this with it. And Mm. then you have to finish a play. And there are these little little moments we didn't explore maybe as much as we could have. And then, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely still a a lot of love in my heart for indecision. 
she's such a fun character to play. Um, I really like the one of the things that I really liked about it mm-hmm. is that as soon as you the show starts, you know who you are as the audience, right? And which it can be sort of like an odd moment in a lot of solo shows where it's like, yeah. um, okay, so now you're talking at me, but I don't know why. Yeah. And you, with indecision, it was immediately so clear that I didn't have to, there was never a wonder. It's like, okay, now I understand. I'm part of the brain. We're going to make this decision. Excellent. Right. And I kind of, I kind of appreciate knowing where I am or who I am. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. Which is kind of really helpful. That's, that's really great to hear. Cause that was definitely one of our, our goals in writing it. Um, and some of my favorite solo shows that I'd seen before created, I was like, I love the shows where I knew why they were talking, mm-hmm. whether it was yeah. to me or not to me. I knew why they were talking. Yeah. Um, I do think that's an important thing in, in a, uh, a solo show is yeah. to, to have that be clear. Like, why mm-hmm. are you even talking at yeah. or to me? Yeah. Whereas Bedwetter, it's very much like, hi, I'm Tamlin Bryson and I'm going to tell you my story. Yeah. And it's like, not as, maybe not as cool of a excuse, but it's still a like, this is why I'm talking. Yeah. It's because I'm on a stage. Yeah. And you paid to see me. Yeah. Cool. Um, Which is still a decent, it's still a reason. Because, right. I mean, it's not like you're, you're playing a character that's yourself, but it's right. like, you're just like, it's just you and it's a storytelling show. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, to me, Indecision is a play. Okay. Yes. And be, just, you know, it's... It's a play. It feels like a character. Mm-hmm. Um, Bedwetter, which of course I haven't seen because I didn't get to London or Windsor. Um, it sounds you. like you're seeing as a, as a storytelling show. Uh, do you see them? Do you see a distinct difference between them that way? Um, huh, I don't know. Uh, like I guess I would still define Bedwetter as a play, mm-hmm. but just like a different, slightly different genre. Okay. Um. I just feel like maybe storytelling has its own has its own quirks to it, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would still think of all the storytelling shows that I've seen as plays, and mm-hmm. we definitely tried to keep it like I've discussed with kind of it's it's almost kind of a like sketch comedy in moments, mm-hmm. okay. um, or like you know loosely based on sketch comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's an interesting question. I think it's one of those things that. You know, what is theater? Where got, do plays oh, end? And what's open, performance art? And what's... We can open this up because I guess that... I mean, that's a big question. Yeah. And what makes something theater? Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've Somebody like, you know, Sam Mullins? Yeah. Uh, like, he's stuck and he'll say, it's storytelling. Right. But it's so good that the audience gets drawn in, which makes it theater? Yeah. I, guess. I don't know... Like, if you can really... I don't actually know if you can make a distinction between the yeah. two, but it's interesting to think about. In one of our theater... I forget if it was our theater history classes or nature of theater classes. One of our lecture classes in school, um, someone had defined theater as doers, watchers, and something done. Mm. Or maybe performance. Maybe performance, you know, is doers, watchers, something done. Right. But, like, you know, that's that can cover mm-hmm. dance and yeah. theater and... You know, and I do think there's a... Maybe a difference between performance art and a play. Mm-hmm. Not that they're not in both theater, but you know, you watch them and they're different yeah. things and they should be respected for their own art form. 
But it's hard. Those lines are yeah. fuzzy to me. I kind of wonder, like, would Sam describe what he does? I, he describes it as storytelling. It's not like he has a set. It's not like he really has plot right. props much. Maybe right. that's why it's more storytelling. It's usually just him. Yeah, I guess. Or I don't even know. Like what a is play, this? a a play. When I hear the word play, yeah. I think what comes to mind is fiction mm-hmm. and a clear narrative. Right. And people acting as people they are not. Right. Okay. And so with a lot of storytelling shows, there's still a narrative. Mm-hmm. And you're even still acting as other people sometimes. Yeah. But there's that difference of... Maybe it's the fiction piece that makes it slightly different. Maybe. Because often the storytelling show is like, this is a, this is my story. Or this mm-hmm. happened to me. Or like, but, but then your show that I saw at mm-hmm. Hamilton Fringe last year was kind of a storytelling show, but it was a f- fictional... Yeah character in a fictional yeah. story yeah, hard to know right? so I, w- I would describe that more as a play but you're definitely still using storytelling tactics yeah. um, we've blurred the line entirely uh, so I guess I don't know is, is the you answer know, I, I think it's I a guess... play and storytelling okay yeah but if a and if a dramaturg so... or critic wants to come correct me on that by all means they I guess they don't have to be mutually exclusive yeah yeah cool I don't... Yeah. Because, you know, as soon as I started asking the question, I was like, nope, this is going to be a tough one. I'm going to be able to really figure that one out. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about theater. And that's what makes me excited about, you know, newer forms of theater mm-hmm. is blurring those lines. And, you know, a show... I've never seen it, but a show like Sleep No More in New York. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but it's um, on my list. Yeah, but this this show where it's it's kind of a play but it's also kind of performance art and it's mm-hmm. kind of exploring a house and have you uh had the opportunity to see the hogtown show in in, in toronto i haven't no they, it's an immersive show at mm-hmm. the campbell house cool. they, they were, i think it was for the month of july they were doing it there and it's it, one of those immersive like all over campbell house sort of thing awesome yeah um, i'd love to see that um but yeah that's the kind of thing that, that's kind of interesting because i think as we, as people who make theater, are trying to combat and come to terms with the idea of um, how to get people to leave their video games on their Netflix and come out yeah. to the theater, they're not going to, we don't think they're going to, they're not going to come for like another living room or another drawing room drama. Yeah. They, have, they want an experience of some kind. Yeah. And to convince them that they can't get this experience any other way. Yeah, and that's something something like Kyle and I try to examine with our shows is like, why is it a play? Mm-hmm. Is this something that could be put on screen and it would be the same? Yeah. And so Indecision, we were like, how can we make it live? How can we stress the live element? And mm-hmm. so with Indecision, it was with audience participation. Yeah. And there were moments that were clearly improvised because mm-hmm. it would be based off of audiences' like suggestion right. and reaction. Um and there are pros and cons to audience participation, for sure. Um, and then, you know, with Bedwetter, it's like that that whole breaking the fourth wall storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could still do it as a movie, but it's not the same. Did you make eye contact with the audience for Bedwetter? Um, y- yes. Yes and no. I guess uh, the lights the lights were down, yeah. so... I was looking at them. Sometimes there were some people in the front row I could make yeah. eye contact with, but I wasn't constantly making eye contact with people because house lights were down. No, yeah. Because I, I knew that, actually, when I was doing The Commandment, my director had told me, like, 
You're gonna make if you can see somebody, make eye contact. With yeah. Them. And uh, the first night I was unable to do that. <laughs> I was too busy trying not to vomit. Yeah. Um, but so I cheated. I looked around everybody. Right. But by the second night, like I could see maybe three, four rows back, and so those mm. people were like, I was like. I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at you, and I'm looking yeah. at you, which became easier as the thing went on, because I think when you're doing a solo show, mm-hmm. that's all you got. Yeah, is them. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never even thought about it, but I think I I did when I could, mm-hmm. but I yeah. couldn't always, or I would try to look at where I thought people's eyes were. Mm. Um, it was funny. There was well, one the show. Back you, the further back they are, the more you can approximate. And yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one show last year in Windsor when I was doing Indecision, uh, and it was Windsor's first year as a festival. Um, and it was a show we had already done in Windsor, and so we had a bit of a hard time getting some audiences out, and there was one show that I had a one-person audience with an interactive show. (laughs) And we, we warned her beforehand, we, like, my stage manager, it was my stage manager's friend, and she was like, this is really interactive, she's gonna be talking to you the entire time, like, Mm -hmm. she's gonna be asking for volunteers, you're the only one here, are you okay with this, we can refund your money, you can come another day, and she was like, ah, if she's game, I'm game, which was lovely, but then the hardest part about it was trying to figure out where to look the whole time. Yeah. Susie, I looked around to the different groups of people, and And I was like, there's only one person, but I can't just stare at you for 60 minutes, like, what did you do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even remember. It's such a blur. I think I mostly talked to her, but mm-hmm. then I would kind of look around, but kind of make it look more like I was thinking up versus right. talking, talking to, to yeah. an empty seat that is clearly an empty seat because yeah. someone's there. And then, like, halfway through the show, a bunch of the, like, volunteers and stuff came and sat in, too. Okay. So it, there were at least more places to look. Thank you. But, yeah, that, yeah. Was a, that was a rough one. <laughs> It was a rough day. She was great. She had a great laugh. She had a great time. Well, that's good. Um, good. You kind of want the person with the great laugh to be like that voice in a big house. Yeah. Let people know that it's okay to laugh. Oh, yeah. You need a you need a good laugher. Yeah. That's actually an interesting with bed, an interesting thing with Bedwetter. Because um, in my mind, it was so clearly a comedy. Like I said, it starts off with a Law & Order spoof. Yeah. Like, so silly. And some audiences would laugh right away. But some audiences, it took them like fifteen minutes to to get their first vocal laughs out. You never know. Yeah, and I think it's because it's kind of like a vulnerable subject, mm-hmm. and and I think the show is clearly marketed as a comedy. But still, me being like, "Hey, I'm going to talk about this thing that was kind of difficult for a long time," and some people, I'm not sure, if, no, they can laugh. I think there's that. There's also some audiences need to warm up before they're yeah, comfortable laughing. For sure. Like they're. They're not going to laugh right off the top. They need to know that it's safe to laugh, that it's okay to laugh, that they're allowed to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, if people aren't familiar with theater, mm-hmm. being in a room full of people where the actor is there can be really weird for people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The actor who's also the writer. Yeah. <laughs> one of the writers. Did, um, I have to ask, because yeah. that's one of the things that terrified me, like performing solo, was the fact that I'm not just performing this, but I wrote this. Yep. Um, that's one of the reasons why at my first performance I wanted to vomit. Yep. Because I, you know, this is like so much my work that yeah. if they don't like it, there's many parts of me that they are not liking. Yeah. Um, did you struggle with that at all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially with the the first time we did Indecision, uh, which was then working title Undecided. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really. 
it's scary. And it was the first time I was the only one on stage, mm. um, which is great in a yeah. lot of ways. Like, I love it. Clearly, I've chosen to do it again. Mm-hmm. But it's it's scary. Like, if they're bored, they're bored because you're not keeping them interested. And yeah. and you can't, you can't blame something else. Like, you know, we've all been in maybe productions that we're not as proud of. And your friends can be like, oh, I didn't like the script, but yeah. I liked you. Or I yeah. thought the direction was weird, but I liked you. Yeah. But when it's all... Yeah. At least elements of you. I mean, obviously, I had Kyle as a partner, but uh, when there's so much of you in it, it's it's definitely scarier to hear yeah. what people thought and and re- when reviews start coming out. Um, and if, uh, at first, I was like, I'm not going to read the reviews, and but then you're also the producer. But you have to. That's you have to read is, the is, reviews. <laughs> that's the hardest thing about producing a show at Fringe is like you're told from the beginning as an actor, don't read the reviews, and then you're also the producer. So in order to promote the show, you have to read the reviews. Yeah, it's like just, like just torn in so many directions. You have to yeah. know, like, okay, if they don't like this, how do I convince myself to go on stage tonight? Yeah, yeah, totally. There was there was one moment in in Indecision that a reviewer pointed out um, as like maybe not being as strong. And then it was just every night when I did, I was like, do we need to rewrite this? Do I need to act it differently? And but then trying to. You're like that's that's next week that's, Tamlin's that's, problem. Yeah, like that's like that's when we revisit. Yeah, because you also don't want one. Reviews are tough, man. Because like, because sometimes they they help. Because you're like, you know what? You're right. I was thinking that that moment was weird, and now someone has mm-hmm. validated it with agreeing with me. But then it's also it's always going to be a person's opinion. That's right. It's and you don't want to change your show based on one review. Sometimes somebody will be like, "No, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't funny." And you're like, I know what show you were at. <laughs> Everybody else was laughing. Right. What's your problem? Yeah. I performed a show in the Montreal Fringe. And I remember the it was a silent film style show. Okay. And uh, the, the reviewer we spotted, we remembered them from the night, the next night. Right. Because their review started, I don't like mime. So I knew I wasn't going to like this show. And we were like... It's not mine, for one thing, but you obviously decided when you came in yeah. that you were not going to like this show, but that right. audience loved it, so fuck you. Yeah. Or like, you know, thanks for your opinion, but yeah. it doesn't mean I need to change my show over yeah. it. But that's a hard part, knowing when to, or even just like your friend's opinions, knowing. There was something, uh, the first the first year we did Indecision, something that came back, back multiple times was that the ending was too abrupt. Mm. Um, so something was like, okay, we've heard this ten times, yeah. so let's look at it. Yeah. And we adapted it a little bit and still got that, a little bit of that the second year. But then it got to a point where Kyle and I were like, no, but we, we've chosen this ending for a reason. Yeah. We like it. We have our explanation behind it. Some people aren't going to like it, I guess. For some people, it's a, too abrupt and that, you know, was fair. But for us, it was like, no, that's that's the ending. And, yeah. But just knowing, okay, we've thought it through. Yeah. Whereas there's some things reviews are like, this part didn't seem well thought out. And you're like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe I should look at it. Did you expect solo performing to be so addictive? Like, I thought I would do one and maybe if it went well, maybe I'd do another. But that would be like a thing that maybe I would do. But as soon as I finished doing The Commandment, I was like, I need to do another one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I never really thought of it. Because, uh, yeah, when I started wanting to do Indecision... It was kind of just the, like, I need something for when I graduate. Yeah. I need a project to hold on to so I don't completely sink. So I have something to at least apply to some festivals with. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know if I ever, before I did it, if I thought about it any further mm. than that. I guess, and I guess it was like a let's try it and see yeah. how it goes. But yeah, it is super addictive. Yeah. And it's it's hard when the show goes poorly. Like, it was hard when Stay Strong went poorly because it was like, there's no one else to blame. Yeah. But then when things go well, um, and it's like, it's just one or two of you that have created this thing. And, and you know, a, a lot of us became actors because we like attention. And well, it's nice that, to get that attention for I, an hour. I find it's not just the attention it's the fact that like i'm doing this like you are <laughs> following me and it's just me that you're yeah following. there's something uh i guess i would be a terrible politician because i pick up a <laughs> megalomaniac really easily because mm-hmm. i just they're following and it, there's a feeling of power there i think yeah but then on the other hand i i miss having a cast well that's the I other miss side having someone that, to act with well see that's that's part of it for me, but also like, so you finish the show, mm-hmm. and let's say that you're not in a city that you're familiar with. Let's say mm-hmm. that you're, it's just you in Edmonton, Alberta, at the Edmonton Fringe, and so right. your show finishes, and so who do you go for a beer with? Like, yeah, you're done. You're like you can't. You're high fiving the technician, maybe your stage manager who's traveled with you, and then the two of you go out into the night and. Celebrate alone, or yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah, I've always had someone on tour with me, either Kyle or a stage manager, or both. Um, but but yeah, it's like the one or two of you that, yeah, and then you're spending you're living with them, working with them, drinking with them, seeing plays with them, and uh, but then that's also the great thing about the fringe life is Mm -hmm. you will meet other people, it's true. And make new friends. And eventually you will make new friends and you'll go drinking with them. Yeah. But that first night. The first night is like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, And Edmonton, at least, there's like, you know, if if anybody has prepared you, you know where everybody's going. Right. Which is this, the diviest of dive bars (laughs) called Steel Wheels and everybody will be there. Nice. It's home for everybody who does fringe because no, they don't go to the beer tents. Okay. Everybody goes to Steel Wheels. Interesting. Um, And... That's the late night hangout, and that's where everybody is. Right. But if if you weren't told that before before you arrived, it would take you a few days for somebody. You'd to be at the beer tent, being where is everyone? Tent, like what? Where, where is everybody? There's no performers here. Weird. Yeah. Well, are you? Do you? Do you have a website? Do I have, do have do a, you have a website. Um, yeah, TamlinBryson.com is my website. Um, I do have a Twitter that I only use during Fringe and then Forget Exists. Um, so we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But, and then yeah, and then I'll have yeah. to... Uh, yeah. And then Drawing Board Productions, which is my um, my company with Kyle Kimberly, um, uh, is on Facebook and nice. Instagram and Twitter and all that, and you can link to all that from my website. I'm also in a sketch comedy group called Cookie Biscuits. You can check out on YouTube. Nice. We just released our first sketch of season two. Yeah. I'm so proud of it. It's nice. fun to do some film. I, do, I mostly do theater, and yeah, it's yeah, fun yeah. to get into the film yeah. world. Um, yeah, but TamlinBryson.com, check me out. Right. I guess I should go uh, make sure everything's up to make date sure before day this day. <laughs> releases. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tamlin. Yeah, good chats. Thanks for having me.